Thanks for checking out the Awaken Church podcast. Awaken Church messages are brought to you by our generous givers and partners. You can learn more about the vision or give financially to support the work God is doing here at Awaken by visiting our website, awakenchurch.cc. If you can't make one of our weekly worship services, you can always watch online by going to our website and clicking on the Watch tab. And now, wherever you're joining us from, thanks for listening, and we hope this message encourages you. Can we just take a moment and honor all the moms that are in the room? Maybe you're watching online, and listen, I want to go ahead and just say, I know... um, Man, I was talking to a friend of mine earlier who was walking in the legacy that a woman of faith left, his mom left. And uh, I know that not all moms can be with us today, uh, but when hopefully when you think about uh, your mom, there is a legacy of just honor and gratitude and appreciation that comes with that. Uh, I know for me, I would not be where I'm at uh, without a mom who loved Jesus desperately and prayed a lot, uh, a whole lot. So... Uh, I want to jump in, and before I dive into the text this morning in this series, Jesus Is, I want to make an announcement uh, as it pertains to our Somerville campus. Uh, You're going to see a graphic on the screen. In two weeks, we've got what we're calling our Somerville Summer Kickoff. Now, the truth is there's a lot of people uh, engaged with Awakened Church, maybe even at the Charleston campus, and your residence is a dot on this map. Uh, You live in the Somerville area, and what I want to encourage you to do is be a part of this night in two weeks. It's going to be at our Somerville campus, and uh, you can hear more about groups you can get connected with this summer, how you can build some community. Uh, There's going to be inflatables, kids inflatables, food trucks, live music. It's going to be amazing. And uh, I want to invite you, I want to invite you to come be a part of that night. If you're at the Charleston campus and you're like, hey, I don't live there, you can come too. It'll be a fun night for you. Uh, And maybe you latch on to the vision of helping build uh, the Somerville campus. But no matter what, make sure you get there. If you have people connected in Somerville, friends, family, co-workers, um, you'll get that invite, and uh, you can send that to them through the app as well. So make sure you're part of this night, Somerville, summer kickoff. If you got your Bibles, turn to John chapter 11. I'm about to go in, and um, we're in a series called Jesus Is. If you're here today and you came uh, because your mom invited you, and you're just a mama's boy, and you were like, I'm not going to disappoint her. Uh, you came into a series where we're talking about who Jesus is, different characteristics of Jesus, how he's uh, full of grace, how Jesus is happy. Uh, he walked around with a smile on his face. He wasn't judgmental. And uh, today I want to talk about uh, the reality of what happens when we realize Jesus is here, uh, that he's present, and that everything changes when he's here. Now, I, I want to throw an interesting statistic in front of you today. Uh, that I read pertaining to Mother's Day, and that is uh, Mother's Day is the day of the year where the least amount of crime is committed. Isn't that cool? Uh, It's like, I don't want to make, I don't want to disappoint my mom, so I'm not going to, you know, break the law on Mother's Day. Uh, I I say that because I want to address a certain crowd today that is in the room, possibly watching online or checking this out later. I'm fully aware most of the times when I get up here and preach that there's people in the room under the sound of my voice uh, who would not necessarily consider themselves Christian, um, who may not be following Jesus, but you're here because you were invited. And uh, I want to take a second, if you came because it is Mother's Day and because she invited you and you wanted to honor her, uh, I want to say thank you for being here. 
Um, I want to say thank you for accepting the invite. And uh, I hope that today, when you leave, you'll learn a little bit more about uh, the person that, that she worships and follows. And uh, you may even choose to follow him yourself. So John chapter 11, I want to talk to you about Jesus. Um, and this story pertains to a friend of his who fell in some really hard times. John chapter 11, verse 1. Let's read it together. There was a man named Lazarus who was sick, and he lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. Now, this is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. Let me summarize it real quick. We've got three adult siblings, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. Um, We don't know where the parents are in this story, but what we know is they all lived in the same house, and these were great friends of Jesus. Verse 3, Lazarus is sick, so the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, well, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. This is a family of faith. Like, this is a faith family. Very different than maybe a lot of the families that we know today. There may be uh, families, and you probably are aware of them, where you go, you know what? The mom, the dad, all the kids, they all just love Jesus. You know, they all go to church. That's a good family. Those are good people. Y'all, got, y'all know people like that? Hopefully, if you're connected to church, you can say that. I think about the Nigels families on the video. I'm like, that's just a good family. Like, the whole, all of them just follow Jesus, you know? And uh, it's what you want said of your family one day. But I think about this, 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 these siblings, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Y'all, they were close to Jesus. They were really close to Jesus. In fact, there's multiple stories where uh, Jesus is traveling on mission and he stops in at their house. On one occasion, he stops in and he starts, uh, Mary's like fixing dinner and working in the kitchen and Mary's hanging out with Jesus, Martha's working. There's another occasion that John references right here where uh, they're having a meal and, and Mary comes and washes Jesus' feet with her hair. I mean, there were times where Jesus just hung out a lot with this family And when I think about, as a parent myself, I've got four kids, and I think about the times that I'm most proud, honestly, it's when I see my family in church. When I I see them, like, in front of the Lord, worshiping together, in church together, and I don't know many things that make a parent more proud. Uh, There's a picture that you saw earlier. I'm going to ask, can production, can we throw that picture right back up real quick? Um, This is real, by the way. This is not Photoshopped. Like, I had to go to church like that. Now, I don't, as a middle schooler, look, there's a lot of things you can do as a middle schooler to embarrass yourself. Few things are worse than this. I had to walk in church like that. My friend's looking at me like, "Mm mm-hmm, and and you wonder why I didn't like church. (laughs) I was so embarrassed, but my mom loved it, y'all. She loved it. Like, this picture, she loves it. And she would dress us all up and, and put us together. And, uh, you know, I, I think about that now, and I, and I said it in the video earlier, I get the privilege, not a lot of my friends have this opportunity, I get the privilege to be my mom's pastor, uh, and she's in the church. And, and I, I think about, good Lord, everything I put you through, um, and y'all, I'm just telling you, I'm telling you, as a, as a parent, because I am one, those of you that have kids, and maybe your kids aren't walking with the Lord right now, don't give up on them, don't stop praying for them. And always believe in them. I'm, I'm the product of a praying mom. 
And uh, I think about this picture, and I think about the picture that we see in Scripture. And sometimes, unfortunately, sometimes we project onto families of faith this idea that nothing bad is ever going to happen. Like, sometimes we think, well, if I can just get my kids in church, or somehow we can uh, be a Christian family, then we'll be incubated from the things of this world. And I want you to know that's just not true. Like this story right here, we've got three friends close to Jesus. Jesus is out doing ministry, and he gets a message from Martha. And the, the message is this, hey, Lazarus is about to die. Like Lazarus is ill. I don't know if she sent word with a servant, or maybe she wrote a letter, but Jesus gets notice. And what he does when he finds out is nothing. Now, I don't know how you love people, but if somebody that you loved was sick and they texted you about it, it's probably a good idea to respond, right? Like, oh, okay, I'll be praying for you. If somebody reaches out and is like, hey, can you be praying for my mom? Probably a good idea to go, yep, I'll be praying for him. Not to just ghost him. Jesus here gets word, and what we find out in verse 5 is, even though Jesus loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. I've been married almost 20 years, and we have four kids. And what I've discovered in being married to a woman who loves the Lord, who faithfully follows Jesus, is that sometimes it's really hard to pray for things when you don't see an answer immediately. Right? Like, this, like there's, there's phases. There's phases to it. And, and as I look at the room right now, I realize that, and I'm speaking specifically to the women right now, there's, there's women in every different phase of this, Right? Like right now, there's, there's some of you that may be praying for a child. And, and the fertility tests are, are coming back and they don't have the results that you want or you know, you're, you're, you've been asking for a child for six months or nine months or a year and you're not getting pregnant and it's frustrating, right? Because you're going, okay, well, if God is good, then why is God not answering my prayers, right? In fact, it's one of the arguments against Christianity. Someone will say, look, if God is good and loving, then why is God allowing this to happen? Maybe you've heard that argument before. Maybe you're asking it yourself. If God is so good, then why is he allowing this particular situation to take place? You're praying and you're not getting the results that you want. Or maybe you did have a child, right? And what you prayed for for so long, the blessing in some ways is now somewhat of a burden. You're up at night, feeding in the middle of the night. You're exhausted. Your freedoms are gone. No more date nights, right? And you're just like, what in the world? This is crazy. And you're lifting up these prayers going, God, just give me my sanity back. Or maybe you have a toddler and you've realized for the first time that humans are sinful people and they're bad. Like y'all kids are cute in still pictures, but they're bad in real life. If you don't believe me, go work in A-Kids, right? Like I was sitting in front of some very faithful A-Kids volunteers in our church and when Tevin was like, hey, take some next steps, they were like, yep, step your way back to A-Kids. We could use you, you know? Kids can be bad, y'all. Toddlers are cute, but they're rough sometimes. And they are sinners that need Jesus, right? And they grow up. They become elementary age kids, right? Like fourth grade and fifth grade. And then you start this resistance, you know? You're like, hey, it's time for bed. Let's, what? I'm not going to bed. Hang on a second. You don't speak back. What are you, are you crazy? Like you you start, and then middle school, anybody got a middle schooler in the house? Yep. You realize, hey, this is, we got multiple personalities here, right? And you do want to fight, you know? 
Uh, my middle school boys are big. They're like looking me in the eyes now. And it's like, okay, we're going to do this. Let's go. Um, I don't want to make the news fighting my kids as a pastor, right? And then they get into high school and they're driving and curfews and tensions. Y'all, it's like, oh, as a parent, sometimes as a mom, you're like, what is going on? Then college, or they get out of high school. And on a serious note, maybe they stray away. And you go, no, I tried to do everything right. I tried to position them just right. And they, God, why in the world? Your prayers don't seem to get answered. And oftentimes when prayers go unanswered, you think, God doesn't care. And I'm saying this because I lift up prayers and I'm sometimes going, God, do you hear me? Because if you love me, you would have responded on my timetable. Y'all, this story is evidence. God works in his timing, his way, and it's always perfect. And it doesn't mean the waiting is easy, right? I'm talking to a parent right now that's, you've prayed through the journey of your kids straying off from the faith. You wondered if you were going to make it, but they came home, amen? God's good. Some of you are right now going, no, I'm in that journey right now. My kids are straight. I don't know if they love the Lord. They, they won't come to church, or maybe they came to church today. Thank you for being here. But you're wondering, is it, is it ever going to correct itself? Y'all, one of the most encouraging scriptures in the whole Bible is right here in verse 7. Finally, because let me, let me just stop real quick. Imagine Jesus, he's got his disciples, and he gets word, hey, Lazarus is, is, is dying, right? Now, the disciples knew Lazarus. They knew this was Jesus' friend. Jesus is out doing mission. He gets notice, and he's like, okay, thanks. And they're like, wait a minute, Jesus, we should probably, shouldn't we go back? Like, we should probably, nah, we'll just stay here. It's good. And so, you know, sometimes we think Jesus is like easy to follow. He's hard to follow. It doesn't make a lot of sense. And then he finally decides in verse seven, finally, he says, let's go back to Judea. So after two days, Jesus, for some reason, goes, now's the time to go back. And then the disciples are like, nah, I don't think we should go back because if we go back, they're going to try to kill you. Remember last time, Jesus, we were just there and they tried to stone you. Remember that? And we had to leave. And Jesus is like, yeah, it's fine. Let's go back. And so they, they go back to Bethany, and when they finally get there, verse 17, Jesus was told that Lazarus had already been in his grave for four days. Jesus appears to be late to the party. Because earlier, it's like, Lazarus is really sick. Jesus says, I'm going to stay for two days. And then he finally shows up, and Lazarus has been dead for four. Now, I'm not great at math. But if you do the math, it's like, hey, Jesus, maybe your calculations were off. You're too late. You didn't make it on time. Our greatest fear came to fruition. Lazarus is dead. And, and, I, and I think sometimes when we read this, or at least for me when I read it, I'm like, okay, if I'm Mary and I'm Martha, just put yourself in their shoes real quick. Here's two sisters. They made dinner for Jesus. They housed Jesus, they showed hospitality to Jesus, they befriended Jesus. There's no question they told people about Jesus. This was as faithful as you get. Yet here they are at a funeral. All the friends came, all the community came. Where's Jesus? Can you imagine the first day after Lazarus died? Yeah, I thought, oh, okay. So, so Jesus didn't come help you out. Well, I, th I, thought, I thought that he was your, your boy. And we, we've heard the stories. 
of him giving sight to the blind and allowing people to hear and the miracles of feeding thousands, but he didn't, he didn't help you. Can you imagine the, the discouragement and the disappointment and the letdown of Mary and Martha? But here's what I want, here's what I want you to see. When he shows up, look at verse 17. Bethany, Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem. And many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet with Jesus. But Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, but even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Can I take a moment on Mother's Day and allow all of us to learn a little bit from a strong woman of faith? I think we got a lot to learn in this story because Martha has been at a funeral for a couple days, but when she hears Jesus is close by, when she hears Jesus is here, she goes out to meet him and she makes a request that's unheard of. She goes, hey Jesus, look, I know he's dead. It's a fact. I watched him get wrapped up, put in a tomb. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. Even now, when it looks like all hope is lost, even now when the stone is in front of the tomb, even now when everybody's grieving and everybody's crying, even now when all hope seems lost, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. That's what faith looks like. That's what faith looks like. I want to talk to the mom real quick. You gave up on the prayers you used to pray. You stopped praying for the kid that didn't come. You stopped praying for your rebellious teenager. And you just said, you know what? They straight off. There's nothing I can do. You've stopped praying because you don't want to be disappointed anymore. So you gave up on it. Can I just remind you in this story that if we're supposed to be people of faith, we pray even though it looks like death is on the doorstep and done. We keep on praying. Don't stop praying for whoever it is. Right? And you go, everybody's got something. I'm not saying you're praying for a kid. Maybe you were praying for a child. Maybe you're praying for that rebellious teenager. Maybe you're praying for the one that's gone. Maybe uh, your son or daughter married the wrong person. And you just go, you know what? It's just better not to talk about faith anymore. Let's just leave it out of the equation. Like perhaps you just settled in your heart in this place where you don't want to be disappointed anymore or discouraged anymore. Y'all, I'm standing here as the product of a mom who never stopped praying. And I promise you this, there was a long waiting period. And I think if she could stand up here today and testify, she would say, yeah, I probably, I wish you would have come back to Jesus a whole lot sooner than you did. Because we could have spared her a whole lot of heartache. But God knew what he was doing. And it was in those years and in those disappointments that a lot of experience took place that now God uses to help me identify with other people and some of the struggles that people go through. And so do not discount what God is doing, even when it seems like things are dark, right? Because he's working even when we don't see it. He's a miracle working God. Martha, her faith was unfazed. And she often gets picked on. Like the other story John tells us about Mary and Martha. Jesus goes to the house. Martha's working in the kitchen. Mary's hanging out with Jesus. And you've probably heard it preached, right? Mary spent time with Jesus. Mary did the right thing. Martha was a busybody. I read it and I'm like, Martha was a boss and Martha had to get it done, right? That's the way I view it. And Martha, when she hears Jesus is coming, she marches out to meet him. That's what, that's what strong, faithful women look like. So I pray that in our generation, God would raise more of that up because we need more of that. She goes out to meet Jesus and she says, look, Lord, if you'd have been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. 
But even now, even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus looks at her and says, Martha, your brother will rise again. Your brother will rise again. And I, and I, and I just believe Martha like turned, ran back to the house, grabs Mary. Keep in mind, y'all, there's a lot of people in the house, right? If you've ever been at a funeral and like all the meals there and people are hanging out, it's not a fun and festive environment. There's depression in the house. There's worry in the house. There's fear in the house. It is not a joyful celebration. Martha goes in the house and she's like, Mary, Mary, Jesus said Lazarus is going to live. And, and we're told that Mary hastily walks out. Look at what happened. Jesus stayed outside the village at the place where Martha met him. And when the people who were at the house consoling Mary saw her leave so hastily, so Mary decides, I got to go up and talk to Jesus myself. Like if Jesus just said that, then I need to go hear him say it myself. She gets up, she leaves. They all assumed, verse 31, that she was going to Lazarus' grave to weep. And so they followed her there. So now put yourself in the story. Mary's walking out the front door with Martha. She can see Jesus. All the people are following. They think she's going to the tomb to like mourn and grieve and they're going for support. But she goes to Jesus, verse 32. When Mary arrived and she saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, now keep in mind, we got an audience. Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. She blames Jesus for Lazarus' death. Now, you may not need this right now, but you may need it some other time in life. It is not uncommon when difficulty comes and hard times hit for us to project blame on God for not doing what we wanted him to do. And listen, I want to go ahead and tell you, in some ways it seems justified. Jesus, you're going to show up and say, okay, he's going he's to rise. He's not going to die. He's dead. So what you're saying and what I'm experiencing seems to contradict each other. And can I just help you? Y'all, sometimes we read scripture and what we live in this life, life happens. I was talking to someone after the first service and they said, please pray for my adult kids. I raised them in the church. They claim faith, but then life happened. Then life happened. And sometimes life happens and seems to contradict what we read in scripture. Look how Jesus responds. When Jesus saw her weeping, verse 33, and he saw all the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up inside of him. We don't typically think of Jesus as being angry. We don't typically think of Jesus as being troubled. Why is Jesus getting mad? He's not mad at Mary right here. He's not mad at everybody wailing and crying. Verse 34, Jesus says, where have you put him? And they told him, Lord, come and see. And then look what Jesus did. This is a powerful line in scripture. It's the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. And, and I don't know what your, your view of Jesus is when you think of him, but the fact that in this moment, his humanity allows him to identify with everybody there, that's a powerful thing. And, and sometimes I just think I, I need the, the, the assurance that, you know what, I have, I have a Jesus, I have a God who weeps with me. The things that, that, that break my heart, if I'm praying for my kids or I'm praying through my marriage or I'm praying for somebody that's lost or I'm praying for somebody's addiction, that breaks the heart of God too and he weeps with us. He's not going, get it together. It's okay. And men in the house real quick, it's okay if you cry. It's okay, don't try to be so tough. Jesus weeps 
in this moment. And it's powerful because what Jesus knows, and you go, why, why is he crying? We have to ask that question, right? If Jesus knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead, why is he crying? It's like, Jesus, you know what you're about to do in just a moment. So these aren't theatrics, right? Here's, what, here's what's happening in the moment. Jesus is looking at Mary, and he's looking at Martha, and he's looking at all the other people there. They're weeping, and they're crying, and the weight of this moment, the heaviness of this moment, is, is the reality of the consequence of sin. And Jesus is staring it in the face. While Jesus knows that he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead, here's what he also knows. When he gives Lazarus life in just a moment, it's going to cost him his own. Because as soon as he tells Lazarus to get up in just a moment, as soon as he raises Lazarus back to life, that starts in motion the week before Jesus goes to the cross. Word gets to the religious leaders. They come to arrest him. They put him on trial. Ultimately, they crucify him on a cross. Jesus knows by giving Lazarus life, I'm losing my own. And so the weight of this moment is hitting Jesus. And it's not that he's afraid of death. It's just the wrath of God is about to fall on him. Y'all, that is the gospel. The good news is that God looks at every single one of us and he goes, you know what? The only way for you to have life is for me to give mine. So I'm gonna raise you back to life, but it's gonna cost me something. Y'all, salvation ain't free. It caught Jesus' life. And, And Jesus looks at this and he's weeping in this moment. He's weeping in this moment. And verse 38 says this, while Jesus was still angry, By the way, again, he's not angry at people. He's angry at sin. It's called spiritual warfare, by the way. If you think God just smiles at what we go through on this, he's not smiling at it. He's angry at the sin that we face and the choices that we make, right? Because there's good and evil at war in this world and inside of each one of us. Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb. It was a cave with a stone rolled across his entrance. In verse 39, Jesus says, roll the stone aside. So get the scene again. We got everybody crying. Then they dry up their sniffles. Okay, something's about to happen. They go to the tomb where they put Lazarus four days earlier. Jesus is looking at the side of this, uh, this cave and he sees this stone in front of it. And he's like, hey, move that out of the way. And Martha protests, right? This is like an excavation, by the way. You can imagine Jesus like, yeah, go and dig up the body. Jesus is like, Move the stone out of the way. And Martha protests. This is what she says. Lord, verse 39, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be horrible. And what's crazy is Jesus is about to raise Lazarus from the dead. He told Martha it was going to happen. And she's worried about what it's going to smell like. Right? She's like, grab the Febreze. This is going to be bad. And Jesus is like, I'm going to raise him back to life, you know? It's crazy the things we worry about, even though Jesus said he's going to do something miraculous. Sometimes, I mean, think about this. And this might hit a nerve for some of you. That person you're praying will actually come to church. What happens when they show up? Are you worried about what people will think about them? Uh, the, 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 the addiction that is in your life right now that nobody knows about, you're keeping it a secret and you're harboring it away because you're afraid of what people think. Are you worried that if you actually confess that and people come to help you through it, you're worried about what they're going to think about? That's us worrying about the smell. Jesus says, look, I can take care of the problem, but you got to stop worrying about the little stuff because it's the little stuff that'll lead you to keep things in in silence or hide things in secret or keep it tucked away. Jesus goes, I have the power to literally resurrect whatever it is that seems lost, dead, and decaying, and we're worried about what it smells like. Verse 41, they rolled the stone aside 
Then Jesus looked up to heaven, and this is what Jesus said. Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here, so that they will believe that you sent me. And then Jesus shouted. So Jesus stands outside the tomb. Everybody's standing around. Jesus throws up a prayer, acknowledging he wanted them to see it is only by the power of God in me that this is about to happen. And then he looks at this tomb that's now wide open. They can't see Lazarus yet. All they see is a hole. It has started to smell. And then Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. Now, I know we want to beautify this and make it all pretty. Like he walks out with this like radiance around him. That isn't how it happened. In fact, Lazarus comes out all wrapped up. I want you to think like a mummy. And so, you know, they're like, Lazarus, come out. And then they're looking at the tomb. And then you have Lazarus, like his feet would have been bound together. His hands would have been beside him. And y'all, I don't know how to do this any better, except he's just kind of like, you know, waddling out of the cave, you know, like he's alive, but he's still stuck. And I imagine Mary and Martha. Now, if it was your brother and he was dead for four days and then you see him moving in the tomb, I would think it's like, hey, this is Lazarus. Y'all, they're shocked. They're in awe. Why? Because. The man who was dead is now alive and they're all just kind of watching. Look, look at what happens. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes. His face was wrapped in a head cloth, right? So Lazarus is like, I'm back, y'all help, help me. You know, he's wandering around, he's all wrapped up, he can't see, he can't walk. And Jesus tells him, unwrap him and let him go. Why did Jesus have to tell him to unwrap him? It's interesting. Interesting line right here. Why would Jesus have to say, go do what seems obvious? Well, none of us would probably run to a dead body, especially after four days. Not, we wouldn't know what to expect. Like what's, what's underneath the clothes? What's underneath the cloths? If I unwrap that, what's it gonna look like? Right? Like, will I get infected? They thought, like Jewish culture, Jewish culture is if, if I go touch someone who's unclean, if I go touch something that's been dead, then I become unclean and I become infected. And before I continue on, I want to take a moment. Thank you for being in church today. Can we just give some praise to the young family that's in church? And it helps that she's beautiful. That girl's adorable. I, I, think, I think sometimes we read the story and we go, hey, it's, it's obvious that you would run and embrace the one who was dead that has now become alive but y'all, the truth is today, when I think about how the church oftentimes treats those who have been dead or decaying or cast away or entombed, it's so easy to go, I'm going to keep them at arm's length because I don't want to get infected. Jesus says, look, go unwrap him and let him go. Why? Because Lazarus could never experience true freedom unless he was unbound by the stuff that held him in the tomb. There are people coming to church week after week, or maybe your small group every now and then, that are bound in shame, bound in the things that they identified with before they were alive in Christ. And God calls the church, hey, our responsibility is to run to those who have come out of the tomb and unwrap them. 
help them. That's where healing takes place. That's the role of the church. That's why we say all the time, hey, get in relationship. Your faith grows in relationship. As you get to know other people, they can pray for you, help you through counseling, work through that addiction, work through that healing. It takes other people to live life fully alive the way Jesus has designed us. And the truth is Lazarus was experiencing that right there. And I just envision Lazarus coming out and they run and they unwrap him and Lazarus is free, right? He's alive, he's more alive than he's ever been in his life. And that, that's, that's what Jesus does for us. That's the freedom that he brings. And maybe you're here and you would say, look, I've, I've encountered Jesus and I've made a decision to follow Jesus, but you're still walking around bound up. You're still walking around tied up in whatever it was that you experienced before you knew him or the shame and the guilt that that brings. And I want you to know that his healing delivers you from all of that. The Bible says that when you come to know Christ, you are a new creation. The old is completely gone and everything is made brand new. And if you've not walked in that newness and experienced that today, let me invite you to put your life and trust in Jesus Christ. He's the one that brings the freedom and he's the one that brings the deliverance. You don't have to carry what held you for so long anymore. Would you just bow your heads right now all across the room, those watching online? Man, maybe you're here today and you would say, "Um, hey, I came to church on Mother's Day. I was invited. But today, when I heard Lazarus come out, maybe you heard your own name right there. Like instead of Lazarus come out, maybe it was, hey, Jason, come out. Hey, Lisa, come out. Hey, Nathan, come out. Dylan, come out. Mark, come out. April, come out, right? Just put your name in that slot. And if if you've ever been in a place where you've not actually responded to Jesus, maybe today the invitation is just to respond. And you walk out, you don't really know what to expect. You just know Jesus is calling you to come out of where you've been into a life of fulfillment and satisfaction that's found only in him. And the same way that he gave his life for Lazarus, he gave his life for you. And all he calls for you to do is accept his sacrifice on the cross, believe in his resurrection from the dead, and you too will be saved. If that's you today, I want to invite you. I want to pray for you in just a moment. But today you would say, I feel like Jesus is calling me to come out and he's calling me into a relationship. Would you just lift your hand right now? I want to pray for you. Lift it high. Amen. I see you. Keep it up high. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Keep it held high while I pray. Thank you. I see you. Thank you. God, I love you, and I thank you for these hands that have gone up. And God, I pray that as they step out of the tomb and they come close to Jesus, that Jesus, you would allow this church to surround them and help unwrap the things that have held them bound for so long. And God, I pray that they would experience freedom and fulfillment and love that comes only through the Son. We love you and we praise you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Hey, church, we had some people step into the family today. Can we celebrate this morning? Amen.